Welcome, my name is Yasmin and this is the Go Within podcast. My guest today is Ross Hornstein, an amazing chiropractor and functional neurologist. What inspires me about Ross is the depth of his thinking about life. When Ross speaks, you can really feel that he has thought deeply about what he's saying and that it matters to him. In an age of memes and one-minute attention spans, this is really quite special. In the past two episodes with Amber and Emmeline, we've gone very much into their own personal growth journeys, and they shared the challenges and gifts that those journeys bore. This episode is quite different. It's not about Russ's particular experience, but more about his knowledge of the human body and brain and the wisdom we can glean from understanding it better. Last summer, Russ gave a talk on peak experiences, and it intrigued me to want to know more about this topic. So this conversation is centered around what happens in the brain when we are in this kind of flow state. The beginning is a little bit technical as we set the scene, but I promise we bring it round to share why this information is so relevant for our lives. Every time we sit down with Russ, I really feel like I learn so much from the conversation. I have sat down with Russ before, episode 8, so if you haven't listened to that one, check it out. And it will give you a good background to better understand some of the concepts Russ talks about in this episode. I hope you enjoy it. As always, I'm really grateful for the gift of your attention. And it really touches my heart to hear the feedback that these episodes are supporting you as you endeavor to go within. So here it is, Russ Hornstein. Enjoy. So let's let's get started. Okay. Um, thank you, Russ, for coming on the podcast again it's been a while and I've been really looking forward to this because I think you have some quite unique perspectives I don't know if I told you or not but I changed the name of the podcast to be called the go within podcast so I'm honing the conversations more to do with our own inner journey and trying to guide people as to how to live a happier life from the inside out so I think your insights are are very relevant and very interesting to that journey. What, like I told you before, I think the thing that sparked my interest to sit down with you again, particularly was the talks that you did at the bubble about peak experiences. Mm -hmm. And that was because I had my own peak experiences along the way, which gave me a compass really for, oh, this is how I can feel. And this is how I want to feel more. Right. And that sort of directed me. So I think nowadays given that we're so disconnected and stressed out I think the idea of peak experiences and how we can cultivate them in our life is something that we all need to experience to to help us move forward I think it's something that's actually quite natural as well you know when you have one of these experiences where you really feel immersed in your uh whatever it is you're involved in you just say wow this felt so good um and uh, I think it is a very natural thing but as you said you know we're very busy and we're we have quite complex lives now. So, um, you know, trying to remember what those experiences are and, and even just having a little bit of a, a concept of what it is that brings you to that space, you know? I think, again, I think it's a natural space and we very often just sort of fall into that space. We go with friends or we're doing something fun or some music or you're dancing or something that's happening. Uh, you're involved in some sort of uh, experience and then suddenly you realize, oh, this just felt so great. And um, so I think one of the things to look at is maybe, um, you know, what are the common characteristics of those sort of peak experiences? Um, And, uh, you know, what does it feel like? And, you know, just talk around a little bit so people can kind of get an idea of what we're talking about. Because 
I think also maybe we can start by even defining what it is. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So, um, you know, peak experience. I'm, I'm sure people have, other people have used that word. I'm not saying it based on any other, any other description of it, but um, I'm just sort of using it in a sense of just that sense of being really connected to the, to the moment and that, I don't know, I suppose just uh, um, kind of a blissful sort of experience, you know. So um, I'm not saying it's, it's any sort of a, an intellectual thing where you're sort of at some intellectual peak. I think it's better to really focus on what the experience itself is and what it feels like. So um, I'm kind of using it in a loose term. Everyone has their own definition for it. But I think as we talk about it and around it, uh, you get a better sense of what it is that I'm talking about. And, and, again, and again, like I said, I think everyone has these experiences. And very often we, we, people will have to reflect back on their childhood to you know, how great their childhood was and how much fun they had. And really all that is is just this sort of immersion in, 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 in the moment. You know? So... Um, but there's also there's all, all kinds of interesting uh, similarities that happen in these peak experiences. Like for instance, one of the first things is uh, is just that 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 bending sense of time. You know, when you're really having fun, and you're enjoying yourself. Uh, you know, you look at your watch and you go, "Oh my gosh, it's it's been an hour already." Um, you know, the time flew by, but then at the same time, it felt like it, there was so much happened. You know what I mean? So I'm sure you experience things like this, maybe surfing or something. <laughs> yeah. you're like, you know, I was only in the water for 45 minutes, and I just had that was like such an amazing experience. So um, that concept of uh, change in time, I think, is one of the one of the key characteristics that we can all recognize. So um, um, yeah, one of the things probably a good start to looking at a peak experience is just understanding a little bit about how how the brain works. Because if we kind of look at physiologically what's happening, of how our brain, let's just, let's just look for a second at like the, the structure of our brain and some very basic elements of how things work. Um, obviously, we, we're beings in, in an environment and we have the ability to perceive an environment. Uh, so we have what we call a sensory system. And we also have the ability to act within that environment. So everything to do with moving and, and controlling ourselves in the environment. Those are our sensory and motor systems. And between them, we have what we call integrative systems. So that's basically everything that's happening in our brain, which is interpreting the experience um, and then kind of planning within that experience. So a lot of cortical or brain function is around um, interpreting and understanding where you are and also kind of planning. Okay, So um, in, the, in the first sense, in order to really understand where we are and what's happening, we have to take information from lots of different sources of information. So in other words, we have our vision, we have, um, we have the touch and sensation of motion, uh, which is coming from our joints and our muscles. We also have sensors in our inner ear, that's called the vestibular system, that senses uh, the position and rotation in the world. And so what's happening is all this information is coming together in various parts of our brain, and our brain is assembling that information and creating an image, if you will, or a map of ourselves and our environment. So we have these sort of maps of, uh, of, of uh, a perception of the world. Okay? Um, the, the next kind of interesting thing that ties onto that is once you have a sense of, of yourself and the world, you have to plan how you're going to move and what you're going to do. Um, so this is something really fun to, to, to think about, is that 
what our brain does is it, is it will plan an, uh, an action. So say, for instance, if I'm going to pick up a cup of coffee, um, you don't really realize how much work is being done by your brain just to pick up a cup of coffee. But literally what's happening is, you're, is you, you look at that coffee and your brain guesses how much that's going to weigh and how far away it is. It, it has to kind of predict how much muscle contraction you need to move your arm that distance, how much muscle contraction you need to actually lift the cup and how much you need to squeeze the cup based on how, how, how heavy you think it is. So you can probably think of examples where you go to pick something up and, and when you pick it up, your hand goes up in the air because, <laughs> oh, it's the cup's lighter than what I thought it was. So that's, that is actually like an error, okay? And that error is something really, really important in this whole concept because what your brain is doing is every time you're going to go pick something up, it plans that whole process of muscles contracting and, and, and actually grabbing that thing and lifting it up. And what it does is it predicts how heavy it is and how what kind of feedback you're going to get. So in other words, like that prediction on picking up that coffee cup is going to say that I'm going to apply this much force and it's going to go up at this speed. Okay? But when it goes up at a faster speed, it's because you gave too much muscle force Okay, because your prediction was wrong. So what happens is that extra motion comes back to the brain and it doesn't correlate with the motion that it thought it was going to get. Do you understand what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. So in other words, I'm predicting my arms, when I lift it, it's actually going to move at a certain speed. But when it moves faster, that creates an error. Okay. And I guess your brain needs that to learn. Exactly. Right? Next time it's going to say. Exactly. Yeah. So we call this an error command. So essentially what's happening is, is your brain is planning the motion. And actually the, what I find absolutely crazy is that whole planning process, it does about 25 times before you actually move, which seems almost unbelievable. You think, how could it do that? So, so it's checking itself. But it's literally, yeah, it's checking. It's like planning that and checking and checking and checking uh, 25 wow. times before <laughs> you insane. do it. So all this is happening. Those 25 times are happening within milliseconds. Okay. It's so, so fast. Because we think when we go to do something, it's instantaneous. But there is actually like a little bit of, um, you, you know, when, when we decide to do something, there's actually this, in that small moment before you actually do it, there's, there's this whole process of planning. Um, and the most important thing that's happening is just whether that, that feedback, whether what happens in your body matches what you thought was going to happen. Okay. And there's a, a tremendous amount of brain activity involved in just that process. And it's not just coffee mugs, it's like everything you're doing, <laughs> you do. okay? So every time you're moving, everything that's happening, your brain's planning things, and it's checking the feedback, okay? So say, for instance, if you're walking and you bump into something, you get like error commands, or if you, you have a little wobble when you're walking, there's all these error commands. If your body isn't moving efficiently, it's just sending error commands to all these error signals to your brain, because your brain thinks, okay, this is my plan, this is going to work. But then when your body is wobbling all over the place, that information is just like kind of filling your brain with, with data that it has to try to figure out, uh, you know, how it's going to respond to that. Because if, if it doesn't compensate for it, you're going to fall over or something's going to happen. You know, you're going to throw the coffee up in the air, right? You have to be able to sense that it's moving too fast when you're lifting the coffee and slow it down. <laughs> Otherwise, you're gonna, you literally will. You'll throw it in the air. So... Um, where this is relevant to what we're talking about with peak experiences is 
um, what the brain is actually doing and what's keeping the brain busy. Okay, so if the brain is functioning at a very, very high level, then you're going to have very, very few error commands. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes sense. Okay, if your body is functioning very, very well, so let's look at like athletes. When you, I was actually thinking of Formula One drivers. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Formula One drivers. Everything's happening so fast. And you have to think, they're planning every little twitch of motion in their hands, you know, the same amount of times that we are. Yeah. And know? the price of the error command is pretty high. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, um, you know, everything is speeded up. And so they have to have um, the ability to almost respond so, so quickly because everything's happening so fast when you're going 200 miles an hour. There's, there's really no room for errors. So their planning capabilities have to be so good that, uh, that they can do it that quickly. Okay? And what ends up happening is people will, will get into a space where they realize they're not even thinking. You know? They're so well practiced in doing something, some specialized kind of function, like driving a car fast, um, that, that they do it without even thinking. Okay? And when they're doing it without thinking, they're in a different mental space. Okay? And that space is something very close to what we're talking about with peak experiences. So the, the, the whole idea is that um, when the, the, your physicality, when your physical body is functioning at its more optimal, then you're having less error commands and, and really less thinking. Okay? There's less effort within the brain. And you kind of transcend that, that integrative sense because you're practiced... Um, the way your body has sort of practiced some function is so highly tuned that you really don't even need to sort of integrate. It doesn't doesn't have to process so, so much information. You're flowing without that error command sort of interrupting that yeah. flow of exactly of your natural movement or exactly. whatever that may be. Exactly. So I kind of want to talk just a little bit about that. We can come back to that if we need to. But the the if you're looking at it metaphorically what's happening is the thing, you could say the thing that separates us from that experience of that sort of Formula One driver and being so super responsive is actually just the fact that we have to process so many errors, you know? Our brain has to calculate between what we were planning and what actually happened, okay? When there's a gap between, you know, what you think is going to happen, what actually happens, it takes a lot more effort within your brain. It slows you down. It slows you down. It sort of makes you stutter in a way. Exactly. exactly. I mean, also, what came to mind is it's so interesting that this idea of the mind-body connection is still <laughs> sort of controversial in some areas of medicine. No, it's yeah, like from the way you're describing it, it's so it, obvious that it isn't. I mean, it, it it isn't really. I mean, what what's difficult is saying. I think some people think that the brain is doing something, whereas the brain is actually like a conduit for things. So, um, you know, who and what we are, in essence, isn't the brain, you know? We can see, um, you know, aspects of our function within the brain, but it's sort of like saying, um, uh, let's see, I was thinking about theories the other day, and people have theories, and sometimes you take a theory and you look at kind of uh, something. So say, for instance, you're looking at a road network and you want to try to theorize what people want by looking at this road network. Ah, okay, people want to go to towns. People want to go to the sea because there are lots of roads going to the sea. You can kind of create theories based on what you see. Or you could just start with a clean sheet and you could just come up with some theory, okay? Um, 
But the problem is, is if you just start with a clean sheet, you could almost end up with anything, which could be good or not, might not be good. But if you look at the roads, you might be missing something which is also underlying. So you, it's, it's hard to, um, I suppose what I'm saying is it's hard to, um, to, to, to look at the brain and to figure out what's happening inside. Because you're looking at roads. When you're looking at the brain, you're looking at roads. Mm -hmm. And it's hard to necessarily figure out uh, the why of things, you know, or or kind of the underlying essence of it. So, um, I think an interesting uh, thing that I always come back to in these podcasts, I'm not sure if we mentioned it in the first one, was um, the work of Ken Wilber, mm -hmm. where he uses these four-quadrant model. Yeah, that's And great. he says, you look at the individual and the collective, the inner and the outer. Right. And for when we're looking at the outer of anything, whether it's an individual or a collective, the outer is pretty easy to map. Right. You, know, you can hook the brain up to an ECG machine and you right. can get, you know, those readings. But the reality is that the depth, the inner world of what's going on behind that reading right. that you're getting on the monitor is so complex. Right. Yeah, and true. it can't really be reduced in a sense. It's and true. It's true. I think that's where science gets interesting because science is really good at the outer. Yeah. And then, you know, philosophy is more about the inner. Exactly. And now we're sort of trying to merge these two worlds and... Exactly. And bring the best of both into understanding the totality, which is really interesting. Exactly. I'm a big fan of Ken Wilber. I like his stuff. Me too. <laughs> I started reading uh, like 1993, No Boundaries was his first one. Um, yeah, he's got a great perspective and it's like a paradigm. And what he's doing is he's trying to, he's trying to simplify different paradigms by kind of creating a model that other paradigms can live within. And I think that's a really worthwhile uh, venture. It's a very, very good idea. Um, and, and really, this is, this is kind of what we're talking about here is I want to give you like a paradigm of how the physiology works. That's one example. But then within uh, a peak experience, what happens is that paradigm just simplifies, you know, it's almost like a, a more of a direct connection between yourself and your environment. OK, and I think that's really one of the keys of a peak experience is you don't feel uh, that has any hesitation. You just feel completely immersed in that situation. Yeah. So, um, you know, that's. And, and then what ends up happening is, I mean, peak experiences are one amazing aspect. I mean, I think everyone can get to a peak experience, really, if you if you have some tools very, very quickly. I mean, almost immediately you can be in a peak experience. But there's, there's things beyond that as well. There's other levels of consciousness. So, um, And all that happens between those levels of consciousness is really just how you're looking at things. So sometimes people have paradigms that are really, really complicated, you know? Um, you know, some people have thousands of gods that are sort of ruling over them and they sort of see themselves as a, as something that's just being, you know, moved along like a, like something floating in the ocean, you know, and, you know, surrendering to the will of the world. Whereas I think kind of more contemporary perspectives are saying that we're actually very much in control of what those experiences are that we're creating for ourselves. I mean, how often have you sort of thought of someone and then they call you, you know? I thought of someone, I, I had bought these heaters uh, a few years ago and they weren't working. And I thought, I need to contact this person. And literally two days later, I was in Valletta and they were sat down at a table right next to me. <laughs> so it's like, you have to think, well, how does that happen? You know, how does, how does our, 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 what our, we're focusing on change what we're experiencing and, and, and uh, all the things that are happening around us, you know? Yeah. It's like that, um, sorry, another tangent. Sorry, another tangent. <laughs> um, it's sort of like that uh, quantum mechanics um, experiments which show mm -hmm. that whenever they were doing these experiments, the observer changed 
the outcome. Yeah, oh, so yeah, you yeah. can't do an experiment without the observer who's doing the experiment changing the experiment. Mm-hmm. So clearly our brains mm-hmm. as a receiver <clears throat> of consciousness have some sort of creative power that we don't really fully understand yet. Exactly. Well, this is actually a great tangent because it ties into what I was just saying about planning. Okay. The more, what, what you're saying is the more clear you are about what it is that you want to create, the more capable you are of creating that. Okay. So throw that in the, into that physiologic example. Okay. If I'm planning something, I'm planning to, well, coffee cup doesn't work so well, but let's do something a little more interesting. Say for instance, I want to, um, you know, I want to jump up and throw a basketball into a hoop. And if like one of the most powerful tools that, that people will use when they're doing something like that is actually just, just sitting with the thought of doing that, you know, like visualizing yeah, it. visualizing it you know you visualize it and what you're doing is you're actually giving more of your of your conscious attention to something that feels kind of reflexive and when you're kind of doubling up all that conscious attention on something and you're planning and just feeling your body feeling all of your senses feeling what it feels like to to to, to run up to the to, to to the to the hoop and 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 to feel that power in your legs and feel your legs just pushing you and get that feeling of the sense of 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 moving upward into the air and feel your arm reaching up and out and and see that hoop coming towards your hand you know when you immerse yourself in in an experience like that even conceptually you're it really helps to prepare your whole body for what that experience is going to be in those split seconds as you're actually doing it so which then makes you better at actually doing it yeah exactly because what you're doing is you're giving more conscious attention to that whole planning process so and it's like that with anything you want to experience in life say you want to um, I don't know, whatever someone's sort of personal goals are, say you want to be, um, you know, say you're a massage therapist and you want to be treating more of these types of, you know, cases and, 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 and you think more about it and you, and you talk to people and, um, or maybe, uh, let me think of another example. Um, so, uh, let's see, well, say for instance that, um, if you, I think actually sports are really a great example, but, um. It, you know, if there's something that you're wanting to do and you can give some conscious attention to it, then it's just going to make everything much, much easier. So, and it really happens through that whole same planning process. And do you think it's, because in a way there's sort of two aspects of it. There's the aspect of you preparing your body so that once you've visualized it, those error commands are sort of less likely to happen because in a way you've already been practicing yeah, in your yeah, mind. Exactly. But then there's also the separate issue of sort of the magnetizing ability of yeah. consciousness yeah, that exactly. when you do sort of create this experience in the brain, there is some sort of force which kind of pulls that more That's into true. your existence, which are in a way two separate but linked yeah, exactly. phenomenon. Exactly. So, I mean, this is something that uh, yeah keeps me awake at night sometimes wondering, <laughs> <laughs> how does it work? It does work. But it's work. interesting because things like visualization, you know, a lot of people see them as quite a woo-woo thing and it doesn't really work, it's a hippie thing, but it's really interesting to sort of break that down and see actually these things work because there is a science behind it. It's just we don't always understand what that science is. Right. Yeah, exactly. Well, I think, um, you know, like I said, I, you can reduce and demystify things and explain them via science. You can look at what we know about things and you see what theory or what perspective it can drop into that explains it. And then we go, oh, okay, I'm happy about that now because now I have a way of looking at that that, that is comfortable to me. And uh, it doesn't challenge my my own perspectives to you know to an extreme degree. So uh, you know, like we're doing with what we've just been saying, just a simple a few simple perspectives and understanding how some uh, one aspect of the brain works. It's like oh, okay, that makes sense. Why visualization could work. 
um, you know, what is it about this kind of magnetic capacity uh, when we think about something to, to change the, the world, you know? And um, so, yeah, I think there is sort of an interconnectedness. Um, I forget what the term is. What is that term? Synchronicities. That they, well, synchronicity, but there's something the where... Collective conscious. Um, I forget what the term is, where there's two things even across space that are interconnected. Ah, uh, yes, yes. Um, I can't remember it's like what it's called. It's quantum mechanics term. Yeah, it's like a quantum mechanics kind of thing. So, um, you know, we, we know that, that from a quantum perspective that these things work. And I think there's also a very close connection between um, gravity and consciousness. So, um, w without, you know, sort of making too many assumptions, I'm just explaining one thing first. I'll go back to physiology for a second, and we're going to go back to that, what we were just talking about. So, from a physiologic perspective, um, one of the things that really helps to drive big parts of our brain is our perception of gravity, okay? Because a lot of the senses in the body don't exist all the time, you know? A big part of our life is spent with our eyes closed. So if you don't stimulate, stimulate uh, you know, a, a part of your nervous system, then it will actually start to die. So theoretically, if you close your eyes for too long, your visual cortex would die, but it doesn't, we know that it doesn't. And the reason it doesn't is because there's other parallel pathways that are always keeping that system alive enough that it's not that when you need it and you give that stimulation of light, it's going to switch on. Okay, so that parallel system, or or the one of the main parallel systems that kind of keeps everything ticking over, is is coming from your perception of gravity, which is mainly from joints in your body and primarily joints in your spine, and 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 the most from joints in your neck. So. Uh, if you have joints that aren't moving very well, it's going to change your the the stimulation that you're getting from gravity. So uh, just to take it back a step, if you're walking around and moving, um, you know your whole body's moving and your spine is moving, and and gravity is trying to pull you over, but your body's resisting gravity and you're moving within gravity. So imagine your spine's kind of wobbling around as you're walking, okay? But if there's joints in your neck that are stuck and they're not moving. Then, then you have to think of those joints like power stations. When they're moving, they're actually creating uh, electrical signals. So it's turning that physical movement into an electrical signal. Uh, let, that electrical signal is working like a power station and just driving and activating various parts of our brain, big, big parts of our brain, okay? All over the place. It's like a trickle charging, okay? So it's keeping all those systems alive and activated enough so that when the other systems like your vision kick in, you see something or you hear something or whatever it is. All these other sensations are quite closely linked and dependent on that, that background affrontation or stimulation from your joint mechanoreceptors. Yeah. Just a quick note there, because yeah. we went in quite into depth on this matter in the last podcast. Yeah. So anyone listening who wants to dive, that's, that's actually what Russ just said is actually yeah. quite an in-depth discussion that we had about that in the last podcast. Yeah, so yeah. And that was fun. I mean, we can, go, we can go on about that. I'm not going to go too much depth. Well, I think, but I think we, you know, people can listen and tune into that yeah, to get more fun. of a background on that. Cool. Yeah. So the, 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 key, the key thing in this is that, um, is, is, is that w w when those joints are moving, it's kind of activating all these things. So if, if it isn't working, it's actually going to make it harder for other parts of your brain to work. And not just other sensations, other, you know, seeing and hearing and, and having sensation on your skin. Not just that, it's a lot of the other, you know, cognitive functions, even just being able to think and be able to focus on things. 
A lot of that capacity depends on just this charging and activation from, from these receptors. So, I mean, it hasn't happened once. It happens all the time where someone has something stuck in their neck. We fix their neck and suddenly they go, oh, wow, the room looks brighter. I feel more alert because literally you switch your brain back on. So um, this is something that's very, very typical. I see it all the time. I think the first time I came to you as a patient and you uh, yeah. did that for me, yeah. I actually walked out in a peak experience yeah, because exactly. I was so, yeah. I don't know, Eve, I can't really explain it, but I guess this, this electrical system just flooded my brain and I felt it's pretty yeah, blissful. Remarkable. I just felt so it's amazing. happy. Yeah, it's like an alert calmness. Yeah. I, I, I kind of think of it that way because when, when, when um, the system doesn't get activated, Obviously, there's lots of parts of your brain that can can lose stimulation, um, and particularly the areas at the front of our brain, or prefrontal cortical areas, where you're doing like a lot of your your thinking. Okay, a lot of things that make us human are happening in those newest parts of the brain. Um, if those get less stimulation, then you don't feel yourself as well as much. You know, you just kind of end up, you know, just kind of wandering from one thing to the next or not being that clear not having a, a focus but when you can turn that system back on then people really just wake up so that's good fun but the whole reason i'm mentioning that is that this is a direct relationship between gravity the perception of gravity and how that affects our consciousness so i think that how we were created is to is is, is through a very very direct connection with gravity so it's gravity that helped to develop this whole cortex. I mean, we can have a long discussion. I think we actually did talk about that last time, was how gravity actually helped to build uh, these more and more complex systems that essentially became, you know, humans in higher forms of life. So, um, you know, we are very dependent on gravity, but I also think that, that our consciousness is, in a sense, like gravity, you know? So that's a little harder to explain. <laughs> but... Um, if you look at it in one direction, saying that gravity is actually building our consciousness, then our consciousness itself does function like gravity. I mean, even our physical being, you know, we have, we have a choice. Um, a big part of what we are as humans is just a choice. We choose to do something. We choose to look at something. We choose to see something a certain way. That choice is actually like a gravity. I'm going to choose to go and have a coffee, okay? I'm going to choose to uh, study something and learn something. I'm going to choose to expand my mind. I'm going to choose to look at something with a different perspective. You know, So all of these things are choices that we're making. And I think that's a big part of what consciousness actually is. You know, Consciousness is a choice. So when, when, you choose to, uh, uh, when you choose something like, like a sport, okay, then you're actually investing your energy in something. And we're talking about going back to all that planning. And you, and you can start to build a sense where, um, or build a, a, a level of function where your uh, outcomes are very close to what you envisioned. Mm. Okay? In a way, I don't know if I'm understanding correctly, but it's sort of like a resistance as well. So yeah. gravity gives that resistance against the joints, which mm -hmm. allow you to sort of create that charge that comes through right. the resistance. And then also in your life, exactly. whatever you choose is sort of bringing in this... Right. Yeah, relationship exactly. exactly and obviously the, the bigger challenges make you grow more because there's more of that resistance exactly exactly yeah it's true it's true but at the same time like when your systems when your physical system is working very very well it's just very relaxed it feels very very easy 
um, when the when the system isn't working well, people end up getting tight. You know, people come in, they, they say, I'm tight, or, you know, this joint hurts. Uh, we have to look at what's happening behind that. So usually it comes down to the consequences of this, your ability to perceive gravity, you know. There's another big component within that as well, not to confuse it too much, um, but the two things that are pretty consistent in the world are gravity and breathing. So our ribs are always moving because we have to keep breathing. Even when we're sleeping, our ribs are moving. And that movement of the ribs, the sensation of the movement of the ribs, activates various parts of our brain. Not as, as wide an area of our, of our brain, but I think that what it does is it creates a pattern of firing which actually brings us into different states of consciousness. Because we know that when we're sleeping, the only thing that's moving, our body isn't really sensing much gravity because we're laying down. Um, but the ribs are still moving, okay? And your diaphragm's moving. You have sensors that sense that stretch and movement. And I think that that particular movement and that sensation is activating the brain in a way which helps induce different states of consciousness. Which is, you know, makes total sense. Yeah, because there are of... so many different breathing practices. Exactly. I mean, Holotropic breathing, Wim Hof breathing, pranayama. Exactly. I mean, all of those are like a surefire way to get a peak experience. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And this is another way of looking at it as well, is that you can make a choice to have a peak experience by using certain tools, and breathing is one of the tools. So we know that if you have a certain breathing technique, you can change your consciousness, okay? And uh, But at the same time, you might just find yourself in an environment where you're having a peak experience and without even realizing it, your breathing pattern has changed and, uh, and you've entered a different state of consciousness. So it's like... I want to unpack that a little bit. Like, okay. So when we say we change our consciousness mm -hmm. in the brain, what does that look like? Like, Can you see that in the brain? Yeah, I mean, there's, there's activation of neurons uh, and neurons are firing very, very quickly and they have sort of a, a wave form almost as well. So you could say that you have an activation, which is like a little, like a little shot of something, but you could you could watch those little activations, and they actually take on a form, an, a, a, an activity, which looks like a waveform. So when you're measuring parts of the brain, specific parts of the brain, you can actually see different waveforms. That's what we talk about about alpha, beta, and mm -hmm. different different waveforms in the brain, and we can equate those with different states of consciousness. And that's still a little bit, still trying to figure out what all that is. And we have a pretty good idea. Mm -hmm. Uh, but we don't know why different areas of the brain light up in different circumstances. There's lots of theories around all that. Um, but generally, there's more cohesive and common waveforms in specific um, conscious states of consciousness. Particularly so it's like just like a, a more things. beautiful pattern, you could say. Yeah, I think there's less... Um, um, so like in our normal states of consciousness... Um, we have kind of peaks and troughs and there's all kinds of stuff going on. It looks kind of like a, a lot of busyness, okay? But when you're, say, in say, a meditative space, it, it looks very sort of calm and slower and it's more even. Mm -hmm. So uh, it's not to say that you're not conscious. You're very conscious, but you're in a different state of consciousness where there's not as much other things going on. Mm. So. It's kind of reminding me of, uh, have you ever seen when they make waves in in a little pond mm -hmm. and the the frequency of the waves creates different kind of patterns exactly. i'm kind of imagining it like that yeah, like yeah, a low frequency a low consciousness would make a sort of messy pattern and then obviously the higher that vibration gets the more beautiful and intricate exactly. those patterns would be exactly so i mean you could look at a wave 
as something, imagine there's something floating in the sea. When you're looking at that thing floating in the sea, it's just bobbing up and down, okay? And that's kind of the way the nerves, the neurons themselves work. They're kind of firing or they're not firing. They're sort of up and they're down, okay? Um, but when you're looking at it from a bigger picture, you're seeing waves. And this is very, 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 very um, parallel to all the quantum mechanics stuff. You think, are, is, uh, is light a particle or is it a wave or all these things, particles or waves? And uh, so it just depends on your perspective, where, where you're looking at it. <laughs> you know, it's, oh, there's a particle now, but oh, you step back here and you look at it. Oh, no, it looks like a wave. So it's, it's kind of a silly argument, but it's, it's, a, it's kind of at the same time a good tool to understand the reality of the situation because... It isn't. It's a particle, and it's a wave, or it's a there's a sort of probability for something, you know. Like one of the sort of realizations is about quantum mechanics is that um, the electron we used to think when you're looking at a, a, a like a, like an electron or, or or an atom, you could say, okay, we see the nucleus. We can either see where the where the atom where the electron is, where its position at a particular moment in time, or you can tell um, its direction. But you can't tell its position and its direction at the same time. You know, you can't say it's here and it's going that way. You can only just say it's here or it's going that way, <laughs> <laughs> which is a little bit bizarre. But at the same time, uh, one of the things we talked about at the bubble and spent a long time talking about this is that that's very much the way a lot of functions work in the brain. Uh, the example I gave then was eye function. So our eyes are, are either, uh, you know, looking at a, a position, working towards a position, or working towards a, a velocity, a vector, okay? so Pursuit and stacades, I remember this. Pursuit and stacades, that's right, <laughs> it's exactly the same. So, um, yeah, th there's a lot of parallels. Once we start to understand the visual system, and it is incredibly complex, I tried to simplify it as much as possible and try to make it practical. But when you understand how the system works, it makes a lot of sense, there's a lot of parallels between um, how the system is actually functioning inside and other aspects of our lives. And, and this goes back to kind of what I was saying about roads and theories, is that you, know, you can kind of look at what you see in the brain and the roads and then try to establish a theory, or you can kind of look at functions like pursuits and saccades and try to use it as a metaphor to try to understand other aspects of our lives. And that's really what I, when I'm talking about things, that's usually what I try to do. I say, all right, let's look at I'm not going to try to explain the whole anatomy of the brain, but I want you to understand these functions because these functions are really interesting because they have parallels in other aspects of our lives. You know, once we can understand parallels of how the brain is working, we can, I think we can, we, can, we can draw from that, you know? I think it's quite inspiring to understand how the brain works and to, and to be able to use those parallels, you know? I think there's a lot of wisdom in that. Yeah, and it's, it's really beautiful because... As you said, you know, the wisdom that you can take from one small niche can so often be applied to much bigger things. And yeah, exactly. I was talking with my sister on, on the second episode and we were talking about music and her journey with music has so many parallels for the wider, wider world. And it's the same with this. You, know, you can take wisdom about the brain and understanding how the brain works and then apply that to the way we live our lives, which in a way just shows the intricacy you know, and the intelligence of the design of our reality. Yeah, exactly, exactly. It's quite good fun. I love it. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> it occupies a lot more of my thought than perhaps it should. <laughs> as, as I, enjoy it. <laughs> I don't think that's a that's a bad something we have in common. Always thinking about these kinds of things. Yeah, yeah. I mean, obviously, the more time we can spend uh, just being is better, you know. But uh, well, yeah. I think in a way you sort of true thought and this is something that is said in yoga you know in yoga we have many different ways to get to enlightenment and one of them is jnana yoga which is the yoga of knowledge and it's said in in the yoga scriptures that true the pursuit of knowledge you can get enlightenment mm -hmm. um, which i think is beautiful because thinking deep thoughts actually mm -hmm. takes you to a peak experience right. or it does for me yeah, yeah, it takes true. you into that space of inspiration just from a thought of, wow, what if this is linked with this? Exactly. But the thing is, I think um, the key to that, or my, my feeling, I'm not going to you know, force my opinions on you, but my, my particular feeling about that is that there has to be some pursuit within that to simplify. Yeah. Because the world is not massively complex. It all boils down to very simple um, elements and very simple rules. Okay, And, and, and once you can uh, understand the complexities... If you give your effort to understanding the simplicities within that, mm -hmm. then you really have something, you know. Yeah. Well, I think that's where the inspiration comes, actually, <coughs> is sort of taking complex ideas and simplifying them, yeah. creating sort of exactly. an idea or a concept that complex exactly. things can fit into. Exactly. The, 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 the challenge is, is not, to lose, um, not to lose facts when you do that, you know. Um, you know, when, when I studied art when I was younger, I always hated abstract people that just did abstract art. I mean, I mean, and the reason was, to me, it was because they didn't have any talent. Okay, They couldn't do detail. And I really loved detail. And I started by doing lots of detail and then working my way towards less detail. And my, my teachers were always forcing me towards abstract because it was less detail. And it's harder to make that move than it is... I mean, if you're starting with abstract and you try to work detail... You just have to gain skills. But if you have the skills to do the detail and you're working towards simplicity, it's a, it's a more difficult process because you have to kind of pick out what are the, what are the important elements within what it is you're trying to express. You know, looking, looking at key shapes and curves and, 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 and perspectives and what is it standing out. It's like casting a light on something and seeing the shadow that's left. You know, you can't get too absorbed in the details of what you're seeing. You have to see the shadow Okay. But still maintain the truth or the fact as you yeah you, you, have, said to, you have to be able yeah. to express the form. So um, you know when you have when you have a perspective that can that can that can transcend and and to be able to very effectively show that form, then what you have is a very very valuable tool that could probably be transferred into other realms as well. So this is exactly what I'm saying about understanding the brain, how the brain works. Um, once we understand some simple things like the gods and pursuits that you can say, oh, wow, that's like what you're understanding about that just makes so much sense when you start applying it to other aspects of your life, you know? It's also making another tangent here, but it's funny because different paradigms mm -hmm. can fit onto different situations. Like mm -hmm. if you're um, facing a situation, you can choose to put a lot of different, like you could say, okay, I'm going to look at this through the lens of what I learned from mm -hmm. pursuits and cigars or what I know about the vestibular system. Right. It kind of reminds me of in reflexology, you know, if you have an issue with the body, you can look at just the hand and treat the whole body through the hand. Right. Or you can treat it through one finger. Right. Yeah, exactly. In a way, like yeah, both yeah. paradigms work. It's just exactly. your choice over which one. And in a way... 
They're just entry Any points. paradigm that has truth in it, yeah, exactly. that is a good paradigm, will work. Exactly. They're just entry points. Yeah, yeah. which is really fascinating. And, and I mean, paradigm, some paradigms, well, I put it this way, every paradigm is going to have a limitation. There's going to be some inherent limitation within any paradigm. So, um, you know, we just have to accept that, but then just strive to pursue beyond that paradigm. Mm-hmm. And, and that's really when we're growing. Yeah. Is and going, choose sort of which paradigm is most appropriate to yeah, exactly. a situation. You know, what, what very often happens, I mean, particularly in, in my field in healthcare, people learn something and they say, okay, now that I understand it, I'm going to hold on to that paradigm and I'm just going to keep using it and using it for the whole of my life. But it doesn't really work that way. You know, what happens is you should go in um, and be open and say, and discover things. I mean, literally every single day in my practice, I'm learning something and it's changing my paradigms. Um, you know, the, the way I look at patients now is drastically different than the way I did a year ago. And I think better. I'm, I'm always learning, you know. There are some core aspects of paradigms, so, you know, that are maintained, but my knowledge is always growing because um, you know you have to sort of be open to that change in the paradigm. But you have to trust yourself to sort of live in the unknown and yeah. be able to sort of freestyle and choose which paradigm feels yeah, exactly. appropriate in that moment as opposed to sort of the safety of, okay, I've got my paradigm now, I'm just going to keep applying right. this one every day. Yeah, exactly. I mean, one of my um, thoughts that I often hang on is, is, as I always say, say to myself, the quality of my answer is dependent on the quality of my question. So if my question is is based around a paradigm, then my answer is going to be based around that paradigm as well. So if I can ask a question and then relate it through the most broad paradigm I, I have, um, then I'm going to be getting a, a, a richer answer that's going to have more application. You know what I mean? Yeah, sure. So... Um, um, yeah, I think that's kind of a key. Actually, I just realized we've been talking about saccades and pursuits. So maybe we should just take a few minutes and kind of give a few parallels yeah. and tie that into peak experiences because, because we didn't really do that. I mean, probably did a bit, little bit of that before and I did some talks on that with the bubble. But um, one of the things about saccades and pursuits, what, what, what's happening is your eye is either um, connecting to something. Okay, so like I'm looking at you that's right now. That's the pursuit. Uh, yes, in a sense it is, yeah. So anytime you're saying connected to something, uh, whether it's still or whether it's, it, moving. it's moving or you're moving, we just consider that a pursuit from a functional perspective. Just, there's more to it. It gets massively complex, but it's easiest to look at it that way. Whenever you're connecting to something, that's like a pursuit, okay? Whenever I stop looking at something and I look at something else, that's a saccade. So what that involves is literally my visual system, my eye, letting go of what it is I'm looking at and looking at something else, okay? So um, when we're, um, and without going into too much detail about that, we'll just go straight to the, the, um, the, the sort of paradigm that's happening here, is that in our lives, we're either connecting to something or we're letting go of it and moving towards something else, okay? When we have, so basically, in, in a sense, just... Uh, build on that a little bit more. In essence, what our lives are about is connecting to things, okay? Connecting to our environment, to other people, to nature. A big part of our lives, we're spending connecting to something visually and in every other sense of who we are as humans, we're connecting to things. And that's really all we want. We really just want to connect. And when we connect, we feel great. The other thing we have to do is let go of things. Because sometimes things don't serve you anymore, you know? 
you can you can um, you know keep eating an apple. When you get to the end of it, you could keep you could eat the whole thing, <laughs> or you could just let this core go, okay? Or you get to like if you're eating, a, say, a peach for better, better instance. You know, you have to the point you have to stop eating the peach because <laughs> it's going to start hurting you, right? So you have to be able to recognize. Um, when you need to stop. Time to let go. Okay, it's time to let that peach go, right? <laughs> Don't keep chewing. Okay? Uh, so that's the point when you know you should succumb. Now, the problems happen when, um, when you don't stop, okay? You just keep trying to connect to that thing that just isn't serving you anymore, okay? If we look at health problems, you could boil it down to two functions, really. It's when you're hanging on to something that you shouldn't hang on to anymore. It's like, I gotta say, yes, yeah, it's time to just... Let that beach bit go. Okay? You get a cicada. <laughs> There's more food there. <laughs> Just move on to the rest of the plate. <laughs> okay? So, and, and, and we do this. People do this. We hold on to things that aren't serving us anymore. And, and as a, a health worker, if you will, uh, I have to be able to recognize what it is people are hanging on to and help them to let go of that. Okay? So that might be some tension, you know? Like literally what I'm doing when I'm adjusting someone as I'm saying, look, your muscle is tight. You're not allowing yourself to move this way. I can do a little stretch here that's going to help let that muscle relax so that it stays more relaxed. And then you can go and connect to a different sort of, sort of motion. You can move in a different way. You don't have to stay in this spot anymore. Okay? So that saccade is going to be important. And when you adjust, it's literally like a very, very fast motion where you move the joint from one position to another position. And so that's a saccade. An adjustment is like a saccade. Okay? You're lacking saccades. You can't let go. I help you let go. That's what an adjustment is. Okay? I can't express it any better than that. Um, a pursuit is when someone isn't able to connect to something. Okay? So, you know, whether that thing is stationary or moving, it doesn't really matter. Okay? Being able to stay connected to something is your pursuit. Okay? So sometimes people can't get connected to it. They don't know what they want to connect to. Okay? Um, or they try to connect to something. It doesn't feel good. They let it go. They jump to something else. So you have people that are saccading all over the place, and they're not really connecting to anything. And you got to say, "Hang on a second. Let's just hold tight. Let's just give a little attention to your body. Let's try to connect to some feeling, to some exercise. I'll give you an exercise. This is an exercise. I want you to feel this when you do this exercise because it's going to help you connect to this feeling in your body. Okay? This is really important. Okay? So again, saccades and pursuits are like an amazing analogy. It's a it's a true function of the brain and how it works is that we recognize and it just happens automatically we don't even think about it i don't have to tell you how your eyes work for your eyes to work they just do it because uh, we're built that way but when you uh, can understand how that system works and you say oh wow actually yeah that's pretty true uh, i'm either connecting to something that i shouldn't connect to anymore and just let it go or yeah i'm having trouble just connecting to something so um and then you can just, with that principle, you can apply that to any kind of aspect of your life and say um, how you feel about work, how you feel about your partner, how you feel about, you know, wh wh where you're going in your life or your holidays, whatever, anything you can apply that to. Um, so this is the kind of basis that I like to think about. And those are the things that are really separating us from those peak experiences. The more you're um, able to let go when you need to let go and connect when, you're, when you want to connect, those are the tools. Those are the things that are actually going to bring you towards those peak experiences. And when we just sort of fall into a peak experience, really what's happening 
Because we should just do that, you know? We're with some friends, there's some music, there's like a nice vibe, the sun's setting, it's warm, you know? And, and uh, there's lovely smells, everything just smells great, you just had a lovely meal. And you're like, oh, my body feels so good, and this music sounds great, and I just want to move, and it, everything feels awesome. And you just sort of find yourself in this space, you go, oh, wow, I love feeling connected to nature and the sunset. I love feeling connected to my friends. I love this feeling of connection in my body and, and feeling connected to the music, you know? All those things that feel good are those feelings of connection. And, and when you have that happening from all these different modes, if you will, you know, you're, what you're seeing in the environment and your friends and all these things, you know, you, that's just one example, but that's one thing where you have all this stuff happening in and around you where you just feel completely connected. When people travel, it's the same thing. You know, I went to Venice, uh, not last weekend, the weekend before, with my wife. We just snuck away for a weekend, it was lovely. And, um, and we walked around the whole weekend in this bliss space. It wasn't just because the kids weren't there, <laughs> but it was, it was really nice. It was just like, wow, in this world of discovery, we're like connecting to this town and really open to it. And just going, wow. And we're moving through. So we're not like staying connected to it. Going, oh, I want to stay right here in this spot of Venice for like the whole weekend. We're moving around and exploring and going, wow, this, this, this is a wonderful thing. And that's, that's why we love travel. Because there's a sort of newness and this openness to, to that experience. In a way, um, it forces you to cicade even if yeah, you don't want to. <laughs> exactly. You just feel this flow and this movement. Okay. I think something that interesting that came to mind is also when you have a peak experience... Very often you come out of that and you get a lot of clarity on what you're pursuing or cicading to in a dysfunctional way. Exactly. Like very often you come out and you're like, oh my God, I need to let go of this. Or, oh my God, I need to pursue this. Exactly. Because those experiences are building you up, you know? They're sort of refining Um, your own system. Yeah, exactly. I mean, these are, this is, this is food for the soul, if you will. You know, this is something that the more you have those experiences, the the, the happier you're going to be. And we recognize this. And when we don't have that, we recognize, we're like, oh my gosh. And then that contrast that you have, if you've been sort of working this, you know, 70-hour work week, and then you have like uh, a few hours alone with your partner in this amazing environment, and you just go, oh, wow, I, w- I want more of this. This just feels so good. Or how can I... And then you just go, oh, wow, you know, we could actually do this more. We could go and uh, have time together and different points in our lives and, 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 and bring more of that experience in, you know? So the question is, which comes first? Is it the pursuits and the saccades leading to the peak experience or does the peak experience lead to you getting better pursuits and saccades? It's whatever way you want. You can look at it both however you want. Yeah, it's both. Yeah, you can... You can it's a, there's, there's it's m- a circle m- there's rather than entry, a... There's multiple entry points. Yeah. So, I mean, pursuits and saccades are just a, a perspective and then really all that is saying is that if something doesn't feel good, um, maybe it's because it's time to let something go or to change something, change some, either change what you're doing or change your perspective on what you're doing. Um, and if you're um, feeling like you're not connecting, you just say, have to say, start applying some tools and saying, how can I feel more connected? And one of the best tools is just to connect to your body. I mean, I love yoga, I love exercise, I love dance, because these are such great tools. They feel good when you do it, and it's so good for you. Uh, it's something that everyone can bring into their lives. And it's literally just like you're saying, you know, you don't have to actually go on holiday and do these things. You just spend a few minutes with yourself doing some yoga or, I mean, I just tell people all the time, just put some music on, like, boogie for a minute, you know, and you're going to feel great. 
I love that that's your most common prescription to your patients of all the things you do, Ross. Telling people to dance. (laughs) Well, at the bubble, that's what we did. After the talk, we're like, okay, how do you you guys want to move? Like, everyone's like, yeah, let's dance. (laughs) So we finished off with a boogie. Yeah, it is beautiful because we all feel good when we dance and when we move our bodies. And instead of waiting for that peak experience to come out of nowhere, because they do come spontaneously, as you said, you just find yourself in a good mood and a good situation. But we can also take not the control but empower ourselves to say hey we can create these experiences using the tools of movement breath etc exactly and you know meditation is a great way too because in meditation what you're doing is um is you're allowing the brain to go into kind of more of a restful space it's kind of like an alert restfulness so there's like less stuff going on and i think that that kind of boiling down just when your brain becomes less um, consumed with all the other thoughts that are happening in your mind, um, you kind of go back to the, the sort of core basic level of function in your brain. So um, say, for instance, we're talking about breathing, okay? And what breathing does to our consciousness. I think that one way to look at it is to say that we're always breathing. Uh, we're not always in a dream state and we're not always in a very high level of consciousness. But that breathing is still activating those areas, okay? Um, when we're awake and alert, we have other things that we bring into our mind. So, you know, we have uh, our sort of internal uh, dialogue, if you will, and our external dialogue and how we're expressing ourselves. But sometimes when we just stop moving and you close your eyes, you kind of hear that internal dialogue, this, all this stuff just running around. And you go, Wow. There's a lot happening in the background <laughs> of my mind, you know? I think I'm doing one thing. You don't realize there's so much other, other thoughts and stuff going on. So when we can turn our attention towards that, that internal activity and just kind of allow it to dissipate and calm down, then it just sort of falls away and you're left at that kind of base, base, basal or base elemental brain function, you know? So uh, not to say that you're, you become unconscious or, or asleep, but when you meditate, you're actually kind of refining that that uh, that like level of consciousness. It's again the, the power of simplicity. You know, it's like whenever our function goes to its most simple raw form, it's in a way it's most efficient. Yeah, exactly. It's like that busyness and that clouded. You know, the feedback loops that you were talking about on a physical level also happen on a mental level. Absolutely. And we're yeah. thinking these thoughts, and then we're saying, "Oh no, I shouldn't think that thought," or we're getting that negative feedback. Exactly. And yeah. that just creates so much static. It's That's true. It's true. I mean, I I. Um, meditate every day I've, I did the math a couple of days ago and I realized uh, 20 26 years I've been meditating every day and um, and I, I don't miss it I don't miss it I, I, I do it every single day and I do it before I have breakfast so it's like if I don't have enough time I don't eat <laughs> but I do meditate okay it's more important to me than food because it sets the basis of my thoughts for the day and it allows me that clarity you know when you don't have it's almost like i I like the analogy of having like your 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 phone you have all these apps that are open and you might find at the end of the day that you know your your phone's consuming all this power because you had the gps on and maps and all these other things are running in the background and your your brain of your phone is having to think about all these different things that are running at the same time but you can actually go and everyone has like a little button you can press and you can close different apps and that's what meditation is you're just closing the apps so it's all that's left is just kind of it's just sitting at an idol so that anything you want to put into your mind right now, you have all the processing power to devote to that. So it makes it much more easy to, 
to have a, a, a mental focus uh, when your mind has that level of clarity. Definitely. <laughs> Always happy to plug in a, a little promo for meditation. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You reminded me also when I did my first serious meditation practice, mm -hmm. um, which was a five hour a day practice wow. for two weeks. And that's where you really see the difference in your brain. Oh, I felt like I was in a new brain. It's mm. so strange. And I remember during these two weeks, I was in a very strict process. I wasn't mm. allowed to leave the center of meditation. I was eating, you know, small portions, no sweet, no sugar. And your brain, when you're in that state, especially sitting for five hours a day and, you know, witnessing right. this in a dialogue, your brain starts wanting to escape. Right. So you say, oh, when I finish this, I'm going to go have that nice meal. I'm going right. to go to yeah. that town. I'm going to, it's, we so struggle with the lack of stimulation right. yeah, that we try to create it. So at the end of this two weeks, I said, okay, I'm going to go to Ubud, this, you know, funky yeah. town and walk around and enjoy. And I did, I left, I went with a friend and it was so strange because as soon as I got there, my brain was so recalibrated that right. all of this stimulation that I saw, it just didn't satisfy me anymore. Wow. And I was thinking like, what am I doing? Like, <laughs> th there's no attraction anymore. These things right. are not fulfilling me because that lack of stimulation, that sort of clear out, then made me feel bliss from very specific, small and natural things. Right, yeah, like, exactly. Like you said, your own breath, your own movement of your body. Mm. I didn't need that nice meal in the cafe or, you know, to right. go shopping or whatever to give me that same right, yeah, exactly. stimulation. And it was, it was a real, it was such a shift and such a clear difference right. that it really... It's true. Explain I think, a lot. I think a lot of what, like when people ask themselves, what do I want? Okay, what do I want? People often draw a picture, like you said, you know, you drew a picture and it was like a complex picture of being in this town, doing these things. Um, and, and then you get to those pictures, you actually create that and it doesn't feel as satisfying. And people will say, oh, I want this BMW or I want this, you know, house or I want this partner. Um, and then you know, you get those things and the people still aren't satisfied. And I think what the point that gets lost in that, I mean, very much exactly what you said was that, um, you know, when you can reduce your uh, thoughts and, and bring things down to kind of a base level where just, you know, simply sitting somewhere and, and being calm can be so immensely um, satisfying. You, you, you really sort of feel the kind of bliss of, of, of that piece of just being in your body, you know, and being alive and just feeling breath, just feeling this amazing sensation of what it feels just to breathe and feel this breath moving through your body. That's a wonderful, wonderful experience. Um, other things beyond that can be wonderful and colorful and great, but sometimes, um, you know, we think it's going to take us somewhere that it doesn't. And I think a lot of people focus on things rather than experiences, you know, like I want to go to this place and I want to taste that food or I want to go to this place and do this or do that. Um, but really what you need to boil it down to is the experience you want. Like um, when I first came to Malta, I thought I'd like to get a boat, you know, because I was in my apartment looking out at the sea and like, I love sailing. I want to get a boat. And then I thought for a minute, I thought I actually did buy like a little dinghy and it was fun. Um, but it was kind of a pain because I didn't take it in out of the water and so on. But then I realized, you know what? It's not actually the boat that I want. It's the experience of sailing. And then I thought, 
what is it about sailing? What is it about that experience that I want? And then I just really broke it down into all of the elements that I love. So I brought it, broke it down into, you know, being on the boat with a friend, you know, and feeling the, the wind when you're pulling the rope, you know, you're feeling that real connectedness with the, with the wind and feeling the waves and feeling connected with the sea and having the sun shining and feeling the sun warming your body and, you know, kind of getting away from things and having that openness in your mind. And, uh, you know, I thought about all the elements that, that uh, I experienced when I was sailing. And then I focused on, I just gave my attention to and my sort of desires to those experiences. What ended up happening was these things just started happening all over the place. I started feeling more and more of these experiences because I was able to break it down into smaller elements of what those experiences were. So I just, it's like it just sort of, like we were saying before about that gravity and that consciousness, you're sort of turning your attention towards um, what it is that you, what you want. Um, but when you can break it down into an experience rather than a thing or a place um, and break it down into the smallest components of the things that really satisfy you, even just thinking about before you even get to that experience, just thinking, oh, how lovely it is. Just this, I love to just, I can just see myself sitting on the deck of a boat and feeling the sun in my face and just that little breeze moving, you know, across my skin. And it's like, oh, that feels amazing. And I can just think about that now and I can benefit from that because I can paint such a clear picture of what that feels like, um, that this is, this is good for me. This is, this is feeding my soul, just that pure thought. It's not actually even just a preparation for, for something or even bringing even the gravity bring it to me that in itself is actually feeding me uh, but the more we give this attention to those things yeah. we are actually you know creating a, essentially an energy within and around us that's uh that's allowing an openness to that yeah well, i think what's what's interesting is that sometimes we can get that experience and not be feeling good in our own body not be feeling at peace and then not enjoy yeah. Like the sun would just irritate you and yeah. the wind is not <laughs> yeah, good and your cold. friend is bothering you. And <laughs> yeah, it's exactly. sort of like the opposite of the peak experience right. in a sense is, I like to call it unintegration. is where right. you're feeling just in pieces. Yeah, exactly. And then no matter, you know, one experience. Uh, and in fact, you can bring that sort of state of the peak experience to anything. Yeah. yeah. I was, I just came back from India a couple of days ago. And, oh, great. and me and my friend were traveling around and... I got uh, a bit uneasy in the stomach for the last few days and I was really struggling with the spicy Indian food. Right. So to the point, I just wanted to have just like standard food. Yeah. And uh, we were staying in this place where, which like, was just really not a nice place. It was dirty and cold water. And it was just oh, no. all like, you know, not very great. <laughs> and at a point, we just like had an hour and we got to this rooftop restaurant and we were just sitting there with this mint tea and the sun was just like yeah. touching our skin. It was just bliss, yeah. you know? like literally from this little tea, you know, there was, <laughs> there was nothing particularly yeah. blissful about the moment. It was just the state of consciousness that yeah. we had been so sort of removed of all of our comforts through this two weeks of traveling exactly, and roughing it that suddenly, you know, this warmth of the sun and this green tea just felt absolutely blissful. Exactly. And at the same time, you could then go in a different state of consciousness into the most pleasurable thing that you could imagine exactly. and feel totally unsatisfied by it. Exactly, yeah. Um, I don't know if you well, have any theories on sort of the reverse of the peak experience. I think, well, one, one of the things I'm hearing from what you're saying is that one of the reasons you really appreciated it was because of that contrast. You know, if it was a, if it was a nice cup of tea and, and the sun was shining, you would enjoy it. 
but because you just come from this environment where it was so not that that it really that that contrast was so direct just like you're getting out of the sauna and jumping in a cold water you're like wow <laughs> it really wakes up your mind and you go oh this is something uh it you know really turns your attention to that so i think this is something that you know whenever um you know, I'm having an experience. It doesn't feel like a good experience. I have to say, well, this is just this experience of this moment. Um, and now that I can recognize that this isn't something that I want to do, if I'm doing something that's actually bringing me further into that, this is my opportunity to change the course of that. I can. Choose. I think what, what I see a lot of people struggle with is that they don't often know. Mm-hmm. Like very often you get into a funk, right? Yeah. Let's call it the reverse right. peak. Yeah. <laughs> the reverse <laughs> peak where you're in that trough. Yeah. And you're stuck mm-hmm. and everything feels bad. Yeah. And you feel just so confused where you don't even know really how you're feeling yourself. Right. So you don't know what's even taking you further in, what's taking you out. You, it's a very yeah, confusing exactly. state. Well, I have this a lot. I mean, people come to me because something doesn't feel good, you know? So either you have one person after another, about maybe what, 17, 20 people a day coming to me saying, uh, I don't feel good. But my first question to them is, uh, people sit down and I say, uh, how can I help you? What do you want? And, and sometimes they'll just talk about what hurts. And I'll say, well, what do you want? You know, do you want to just not feel pain? Or are you trying to achieve some, uh, some physical ability or function? You know, we have to transform. I have to work to help them transform the dialogue that they're coming in with. So some people just say, well, my neck hurts. And I'm like, okay, well, let's look at that. And they say, well, can you turn your head? And they're like, no. Do you want to be able to turn your head? Okay, yes. Yeah, I'd like to be able to turn my head. I'd like to be able to turn my head without pain. Mm-hmm. I'd like to be able to work at my desk without pain. I'd like to be able to feel flexible. I'd like to be able to uh, go for a walk and to be able to do things without fearing that my neck's going to be a problem. So we have to transform. I have to work with them to help transform what it is that they don't want. Because sometimes they just develop such a strong uh, dialogue and such a strong belief that these things are going to be keep going like this. I say, well, well, you know, do you want it to be better? And they'll say, yeah, but it's been, you know, painful for like 10 years, you know? I've been to surgeons, I've been to this, I've been to that, and no one can help me. I'm just on medication. And it's like they try to justify why they have to keep choosing that. And I say, well, let's look at a way we can try to choose something different, you know, if we can understand what's behind that and try to understand a way that we can move past that, would that be something that you'd want? You know, and, and it, it, it sounds silly, but I do it all day long and I'm almost laughing to myself because everyone does it. Yeah. Everyone does it. We get yeah. very serious about our pain and we sort of cling on to it in a yeah. way. And I guess it's going back to the pursuits and cicades. cicades. Yeah. It's like, we can't move to the new, we can't cicade because there's just this unknown gap in between the two points of contact and we don't know how to let go. Exactly. And you don't know how big that gap is. You know, some people feel that the, 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 that gap getting from where you are to where you want to be is so huge that you can't possibly traverse it yourself. So, I mean, that's relatively easy in my position because I can, I can help comfort that and I can help close the gap because I can say, look, Whatever it is that's going on, I can help you figure out what that is. And if it's something I can help you with, then, then we can get started. We'll do it right now. Uh, if it isn't, then I can help you find a way. Yeah. So then it, that just kind of softens the whole environment because people realize, oh, okay, well, there is a way through this. And once you realize there's a way through it, then there's an openness. Yeah. 
Um, and do you think it's just random as to sort of how scared we are? Some people are daredevils by nature. They have no problem. They jump from one thing to the other, no fear, keep going. And then other people are very, very cautious and they really struggle to move across those unknowns. Yeah. Do you think it's just nature? I think it's probably... I think a big part of it is is how you've chosen to view the world, how you were raised, perhaps, how your parents taught you about things. You know, if uh, if you're, you know, they were saying, no, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, don't jump, don't fall, don't hurt yourself, and you know, and you're always afraid of hurting yourself, and then you end up hurting yourself. You're like, it sort of tells you that you shouldn't try things. You know, um, so I think you know, there's there's probably easy and hard ways to do everything. Yeah, in a way, it all comes down to that sort of self-esteem and self-confidence. Yeah, yeah, I think to some extent, yeah, yeah. Um, and, you know, like I was saying before, there's there's tools. Everyone has to just find the tools that work for them, you know. Um, for me personally, it's meditation, yoga, dancing. Those are things that I can do anywhere, anytime, that can just, like, within moments bring me back to feeling really kind of connected and, 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 and where I want to be. I can get very close to these sort of peak experience things, you know. We haven't really gone into too much exp- explanation of what a peak experience is, but we're kind of moving in that direction. And um, But this is just a way that I can kind of reduce the resistance, if you will, so that I can be closer to where I want to be. And um, so, yeah, I mean, everyone has tools. You know, for other people, it might be just going for a walk or, or um, you know, sitting and reading. Whatever it is, everyone has something. Um, but I think these are val- valuable things, you know, we neglect it. And um, another sort of just a funny thing that happened was when we went off to Venice, we were driving to the airport, and right before we got to the airport, just around about before the airport, I realized I forgot my phone because it was running low on power and I put it on the charger and I left it on the charger. And, and my wife said, should we go back and get it? And I thought about it and I thought, we're going away for the weekend. I don't need to talk to anyone this weekend. I don't need my phone. I don't need internet. I don't need it. We went without my phone. And it was a really enjoyable experience. I do actually very often just put my phone down. Probably annoys a lot of people, but I just put it down because I can't handle like constantly being on it. But um, um, it was a wonderful experience just to uh, not have it because what I realized is there's so many moments when it kind of feels like there's nothing happening and the, the, the natural response now is for people to just pick up their phone. And you go on Facebook, or you're reading some news, or looking at photos, or whatever it is. People just like fill that time with consuming content. And, you know, I would challenge people to ask themselves, is that really satisfying you? You know, is this, does this fill you with joy? You know, is this something that really makes you feel like after that experience, you just feel like, oh, wow, like that was a breath of fresh air. I feel amazing now. Or would it be better to just not do that and just look around, you know? I realize I'm just like looking around people and people And feel that and... natural stimulation of the body, of your joints moving, your breath, exactly. as opposed to the artificial stimulation exactly. that comes in. You know, sometimes I'm walking around and I feel like I'm walking around a world of zombies. You know, people literally walking down the street. I saw people in Venice, like looking at their phones, walking around and thinking, this is one of the most beautiful cities I've ever seen. And you just miss that amazing thing that, that you walk past, you know? And, um, you know, I had like this little camera I had with me and I was like, when you have a camera in your hand, you really open your eyes and uh, you start seeing things because you're looking for things, you know, you're looking for something interesting. And you just and I think that's a great perspective to have in life just to say, I'm going to walk around with open eyes 
And um, you don't get that by getting it from someone else and what they were posting on Facebook or getting it from what the news is feeding you. Um, you get it just by immersing yourself and, and being open to your surroundings. Yeah, and your feelings, just sort of having a moment, focusing on what you feel in your body, what you're thinking, um, you know, your environment and appreciating it. You know, so I had the same experience in India. It was quite funny because I, I was going away for two weeks and it was a very unplanned, unexpected trip. And I felt a bit bad about leaving work for so long. And so I said, OK, well, at least well, someday I'll get an Indian SIM card and I'll get internet and I'll stay connected and I'll keep in touch with, with work. And it's like the universe just did not want me to be on my phone. Well, I spent an hour getting this SIM card. It worked for two days and yeah. then my phone just stopped working. So Amazing. I had no mobile network anywhere. <laughs> and it was so great. I just said, you know what? <laughs> I messaged the, the girls here. I was like, listen, my phone is not working. Just in an emergency, contact my friend who right. I was traveling with. And it was, as you said, it was a breath of fresh air. It just felt yeah. so good to not have that constant. Exactly. Um, exactly. Con that, that phone just needing your constant attention. Right, Because yeah. it's always beeping and buzzing. Right. And as you said, you turn to it when exactly. you really don't need to. No. It's actually quite scary when you start noticing true. how often you would turn to it exactly. when it's not there. Exactly. No, it is. A lot of times we just do things just without thinking, you know, and and, uh, and this is why I really appreciate meditation because it gives me a time just to let everything else go. And then I, whenever I choose to do something, I'm like, why am I doing that? You know, yeah. um, they call it monkey mind. You know, you're just sort of yeah. doing something because you make a decision to do it um, and you can't sort of realize oh. that you're, you're making this decision and it doesn't yeah. serve you. You know, I think the problem is that, you know, I teach meditation here regularly every twice a week minimum Excellent. I teach here but what I'm finding is that a lot of people are really struggling that they want to meditate right. but their minds are now so overstimulated that yeah, exactly. to get them to stop because you don't meditate once and have a peak experience right. you know it takes time work, yeah. you know exactly. you, you have to flex that muscle you have to get your brain tuned into releasing all of that dialogue exactly and it, it does take a bit of discipline in the beginning till you get you get it right and yeah exactly what i'm seeing is a lot of people are just really struggling to stick with it because they're just overpowered by this stimulation exactly. reflex exactly i have a, a strange thing that happens in my meditation with the form of meditation i do um i don't know if it's just me or the type of meditation or whatever but i meditate for 20 minutes sometimes i go a little longer but um i'll do at least 20 minutes and what happens is i start meditating and I use I use mantra, so I use like a sound that I repeat in my in my uh, in my head. So I just keep saying the sound, and um, and then what happens is a thought comes in, and then I just recognize that there's a thought, and then I let it go, and I go back to the sound, and the whole process of doing that um, goes on and on and on. And it's not like I've been doing it for 26 years, and I can sort of instantly be in a a very blissful state when I close my eyes. There are times when I can do that, but generally my meditations. What happens is I. I start my meditation and I'll spend almost all of my meditation just like letting go of thoughts. And there's a strange thing that happens. I don't know why it's, it happens this way, but usually it's 18 minutes, 18 minutes of meditating. And then my mind just clears. I feel I'm not, my whole body just go, oh, <laughs> and then I like, I'll kind of open one eye and it's like 18 minutes and I got two minutes left. 
and I'll go back to my meditation. And those last two minutes are just pure bliss. It's amazing. Yeah, that happens. And, and, it's always the last two minutes. Yeah. In fact, sometimes when I teach, <laughs> yeah. I say two minutes left because there's something about that, like yeah. one or two last minutes where it's like the mind just surrenders it's and it amazing. goes, oh, this is my last few seconds of peace. So now yeah. I'm going to really be yeah, in peace. Yeah, do it. <laughs> That's great. A lot That's of a people great, even have it when they're like, when, when the teacher would say like, okay, come back to your body. That's right. when, That's they when it happens. Yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> then I'm like, oh, funny. I want to get my minutes. <laughs> and then you're like, no, so, I want to stay. Yeah. And, and sometimes I do. I give myself more. And if I do give myself more, that extra time is just absolutely beautiful. But sometimes I'll do the two minutes and I'm just like, boom, and I pop out and I'm like really alert and I'm ready. So um, it's strange, but it does, I suppose what I'm saying is, it doesn't matter how long you've been meditating, it's still the same process. Yes. You know, there's still stuff going on. I think when you first start to meditate and you start first start to feel a lot of these, how great meditation is for you and how great it feels, um, you feel that amazing contrast from where you were to what you could, what you can experience and what, where you can be. And, and that feels great. Um, but then you realize after that, it still works. It's just maintenance. <laughs> yeah, it's all maintenance. <laughs> so uh, it, maybe not as much contrast because you're, you're yeah. kind of maintaining that space. So, but that's why I really love retreats because I, yeah. I think there's so much value in just going deep, you know, doing the, even it doesn't have to be five hours. I choose to do five hours, but you can do two hours, three hours, but take that 20 minutes and just kind of stretch it to one exactly. hour. Exactly, exactly. Um, because it's like you're disciplining the brain right. to that point of it being able to do 20 minutes, 30 minutes. But then okay, what if you say, okay, I'm going to discipline it for one hour and then right. you're sort of in new territory. Exactly. And uh, it, exactly. Is, it is, I find it's always a challenge in our mm. daily world to maintain the discipline of the mind yeah. because as you said it's meditation is just discipline mm-hmm. really it's that ability to notice the thought and say no i'm going to go back to my sound i'm going right. to go back to my number i'm going to go back to whatever it may be exactly. that you're concentrating on but our brains outside of meditation are being bombarded by this stimulation and lack of stamina in a right. sense so yeah exactly you know when how my brain is when i'm on retreat and how my brain is when i'm here in my daily life is very different. It's true. It's true. And it's, it's a difficult balance to strike because I think a lot of people, you know, I've seen it happen with several people over time where, where they're just so fed up with everything. They're just throwing everything away and they sort of immerse themselves in just kind of being in a, in a state and, 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 you know, immerse themselves in life. And that's great. And they can do that. And then what happens a certain period of time will pass and they'll be like, they realize I'm not feeling fulfilled anymore because, you know, who we are and what we're here for we all have something to give, you know, and you can focus on yourself uh, until you've focused on yourself enough. And then you kind of have to say, that's not fulfilling me anymore. It's time for me to give. Yeah. And they'll realize I need to find some work. I need to give something, I need to contribute yeah. something. And, uh, and I think that's, that's a key element as well. It's not, we're not just now talking about just feeding ourselves. We're talking about making that necessary shift that so many of us need to about what it is that serves us and what it is that really fulfills us. And once you build yourself up, then you can start to contribute more of who you are to your environment. Everyone has a skill, everyone has a gift. Mm-hmm. So when you, when you can focus on yourself, you can actually clarify what that is 
and come back to that with with much more force and dedication and 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 joie de vivre, if you will. So, yeah, and that's the true challenge, you yeah. know, in the hero's journey. The return of the hero yeah. is is the, exactly. actually the hardest part of the whole hero's journey is to come back and take what you've learned and apply it exactly. to your endeavors. Exactly. So. Yeah, no, that's cool. Yeah, in fact, my teacher says don't meditate too much. Yeah, right. He says don't do more than an hour a day in your daily life he said, because you lose interest in the world you lose interest in your projects and you need those projects because they are part of your purpose your life exactly so exactly find that balance it's very good <laughs> so true very good yeah, perfect so i don't know if there's more you want to say about the peak experience there's always more to say. There's always more to say. Well, we've been chatting for about an hour, 20 minutes. Okay. So well, let me just wrap up with a few other thoughts because yeah. I think that, um, yeah, peak experience, we've been talking around it a bit and it's not something that's my term. I think other people have probably used it and I, and I don't have a very strict sense of it. But I think from what we've been saying, people can kind of understand what we're saying is that a peak experience is something where you feel really immersed in your environment you're feeling connected to your body you're not having to think as much you're just feeling like a direct connection like i was saying you walk around you just go wow that sort of feeling you have when you're on holiday and like everything's new and you're just really enjoying things you're feeling really connected to stuff you eat something and everything tastes amazing you know everything looks amazing you know and that's not necessarily even just um you know you're not fooling yourself you're not like it's not some sort of mental game where you're pretending something is something that it isn't this is actually more quite the opposite you're, you're you're not thinking so much and you're allowing yourself to just be immersed in your in your environment so that's very much i think what a peak experience is i think as well um i would define something like enlightenment as something uh different than a peak experience and i think a lot of people will make choices to do yoga or to meditate or to do these things like when you read about Buddhist meditations and things and, and the Buddha and he attained enlightenment, he attained enlightenment. He was meditating under a tree, Bodhidharma tree or whatever for however long and uh, he became enlightened and it's like, wow, that's amazing. So that's what we're doing. That's why we're meditating. I don't think so. Um, I think we're meditating to create this clarity like we've been saying. Um, but I think enlightenment is something that's quite different. Um, and the difference being... Um, if we were to go back to the, the part of the discussion where we're talking about paradigms and perspectives, again, a lot of us have very complex paradigms about how the world works, about spirituality, about relationships, about work, about who I am, ego, all these sort of things. We have these sort of paradigms that we build. But if we can kind of let all those paradigms go as much as possible and create some very simple paradigms about about who we are and what we are in the world and what we're here to do and and what what brings us joy, you know? Just try to simplify that as much as possible, have some simpler uh, paradigms, or at least be in pursuit of simpler paradigms. It's probably a better way of saying it. You're not gonna figure it out instantly. Probably through the course of our whole lives, we'll be able to become wiser, and that wisdom is based around some deeper understandings and some deeper senses of things that uh, make sense, you know, your granddad would say something very wise, so just, you know, let it go, you know, it's not serving you, let it go, son, right, <laughs> and really, we're just saying, grand, granddad just said, look, it's time to saccade, okay, so, um, there's some very simple truths in wisdom 
you know knowledge has lots of complexities and wisdom is actually that simplification so that's kind of a transcendence if you will of paradigms from more complex paradigms to simpler paradigms so i think the difference between a simple paradigm which can bring you into those peak experiences the simpler your paradigm the simpler your your thoughts are the more easy it is to be immersed within your experience and that's what we're talking about about a peak experience i think enlightenment maybe we have another chat about this another time is um is what i would call a paradigm collapse so the way that you look at things the way you interpret it and the way you feel you are relating to the world uh collapses and the point of enlightenment what happens is your um your sense of yourself just kind of completely connects to the environment so um one way i could say it is that if you were to be in that enlightened space when you see something you become connected to that thing so if you see a tree you would literally feel what the tree feels you could feel its leaves you could feel the wind moving past its leaves and its branches that's what enlightenment feels like it's that complete immersion within the environment that complete connection when you look at someone from that point of enlightenment you're actually looking deep into that person and you're not and you're really seeing the truth of that person rather than all the other layers of things of of that persona or ego or whatever it is you're seeing through all of that into the depth of who that person is and that love that's within them so enlightenment and from that perspective of enlightenment you don't necessarily just see it as a separate entity you feel that connection with that deepest sense of that person or that deepest sense of anything that is around you in your environment so enlightenment is an amazing amazing thing but it is something that's different than a peak experience not something that's necessarily better than a peak experience probably something harder to attain than a peak experience but it's something different and um it's it's a hard thing to define we could probably talk about that more but it's um but it is something really really wonderful and i think um understanding what that paradigm collapse is and what it is that generates or sort of allow an environment that would create that capacity to have a paradigm collapse is something that's quite uh, unique but rather than just leaving everyone on the cliffhanger I'll, I'll do a little <laughs> bit of an insight into what that is um whenever someone kind of ex- goes to that point of enlightenment there's always a common theme and what that common theme is is that something happens that uh allows you to just drop everything you know and to become immersed in that experience to become to to move into that point of enlightenment enlightenment isn't necessarily just like a, a moment where you go ah that felt good it's like a whole state of being that kind of a permanent a permanent thing semi-permanent. or something that or something you could choose to move into that space um so when someone attains enlightenment that's like a door that you've opened that you can pass through that door uh you can maintain that space you know um but what happens is something that that transcends that so um it, there's something that will happen and you read these stories like i read a lot of zen buddhism and there's always a funny story of where um you know the 
teacher asks the master something and the master just slaps them in the face and they become enlightened. There's something crazy, <laughs> okay? Or someone just says something to you and you just go, oh my God, you know? And like Boom. everything falls apart. So there's, there's kind of a catalyst that creates the paradigm collapse. And um, I don't think that that... I've read loads and things, things about this and I've never figured out exactly what that is. Um, but... Um, you know, perhaps we could talk about, you know, personal experiences and things as well. But uh, I could probably talk more about that uh, from a personal level, but I, I haven't ever found anything. But I do think that there is something um, that is always in common in that paradigm collapse. And that's that, it's that sort of catalyst or something that actually breaks apart the way you always looked at things. And sometimes it's, it can be quite traumatic for people. Um, and there are even, you know, sort of traumas can trigger you into a peak experience as well. So this is very, very common as well. Yeah. The yoga philosophy actually goes really into depth into yeah. this. Oh, cool. Um, into sort of, it doesn't speak so much about the catalyst, but the different sort of phases of that enlightenment stage. Because in yoga, it's sort of broken down right. into that immersion where you still have a sense of I, the right. immersion where you have no sense of I, the immersion right. where the I never comes back. Right. They sort of classify them in different uh, in different ways. Um, but it's really interesting because I obviously just came back from India. India is the land of enlightenment. Yeah. <laughs> and it's really interesting because I, I wrote this post actually on my Instagram where I was just talking about how if you go to India and look at it through the eyes of religion, mm -hmm. how you miss so much. Because I think the, the most incredible thing about the Indian culture is they have this sort of capacity and culture of self-experimentation. Mm -hmm. So they, they experiment on themselves with a lot of different practices which induce peak, experiment, uh, peak experience and obviously on a lesser degree actual enlightenment right. and it's very interesting to see people engaging with these kind of experiences on such a different level mm. i went to the, the kumbha mela which is the largest spiritual gathering in the world oh. and one of the main activities of this spiritual gathering is to take a bath in the ganga and yamuna rivers it's right. a point where three holy rivers actually uh, there's the confluence the of these rivers and you see i mean millions of people coming to bathe in this river and it's it's freezing cold it's six degree <laughs> wow um oh. and a lot of them do this at sunrise so it's pitch black it's it's absolutely freezing the yeah. air is freezing the water's freezing and these are not priests or yoga these are just ordinary people wow. yeah and they they come there and you see them really engaging with the experience of being alive and, and wow. feeling their right. own body and and all of these connections that you were talking about and Amazing. i think that is what is so beautiful because as you said we can talk about these on a sort of mental level mm -hmm. but when you put yourself into that experience yeah, exactly. and use those tools that have the chance I, you might not you know take a bath in the ganga and be enlightened right but you might have a peak experience and you might actually get enlightened right so the point is just to sort it's of put shock, yourself yeah. into that experience exactly. which makes you feel exactly and that that is the potential catalyst that yeah. is gonna exactly shift your paradigm well, well one thing that you're saying here is actually that willingness i think the willingness is the key the willingness to open yourself up to something different uh, yeah. You know, that's the key. Yeah. Especially that, when it's mostly uncomfortable. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. And also, I think, 
you know, an acceptance is really important as well. Because when you're looking at sort of the other end of the scale where people just aren't feeling great, if you can accept where you are, um, that's kind of like step one, isn't it? Yes. <laughs> and then, and then just say, okay, this is a bit shit. Um, I can I can move past this, okay? This just is what it is, and we're going to move past it. Yeah. And um, uh, But then when you say, when you can move past it, and you say, I actually want... I'm actually willing to change the way that I'm looking at my own life and and, and looking at myself. Uh, when you have that willingness, that that is a big part of the, the, the sort of power behind it, you know, yeah. a big part of the catalyst. Yeah. And again, going back to that seriousness, you know, we, we cling very seriously to our state and our paradigms and you can't sort of move forward when you have this seriousness that right. you're... Uh, clinging on to yeah exactly <laughs> it's true it's in fact true. yeah well, as you said the, a lot of these Zen Buddhist uh, parables and, and phrases they they all have a lack of ser- they're all very playful yeah, they, you know? they kind of break that seriousness right. of our ego exactly and and again complexity is just ego and and that seriousness you know all all of the greatest masters are very simple right yeah you know, they don't they're not going to come and Right. give you physics equations they're just gonna be right yeah, just gonna exactly. tell you don't harm others be happy you know it's <laughs> yeah, very exactly. simple and you're like ah! exactly, exactly. <laughs> it needs to be more complex for me yeah. I, can't, I can't deal with just be happy <laughs> <laughs> well, i think one of the things that makes people happy well i put it this way when you're happy you you, you laugh and one of the things that makes us laugh is when the the expectation isn't what you thought it was going to be Okay, so like the the basis of a joke is that um, is that something's different than what you thought it was going to be, right? So um, you know you you sort of it kind of changes the way you're thinking about something. So like um, uh, yeah, so basically like in a joke you're sort of saying you're you're sort of expecting one outcome, but then the answer would be something that's different than that. Um, Let's see. So, um, so like, uh, I'll give you an example. I don't know if you've heard this before, but what is, um, what is orange and sounds like a parrot? I don't know. A carrot. <laughs> a carrot. <laughs> it sounds like a parrot, right? <laughs> but it's, you're expecting an animal, but it just sounds like the word, right? So <laughs> it's a joke, but it makes you laugh because you had to change your paradigm, okay? And something that sort of shocks you into a different paradigm, it makes you laugh mm-hmm. and it sort of expands the mind. So I think humor is a great tool for that. But it's just like another example that... Um, when you when you sort of change your perspective, um, you can experience joy. Yeah, which is why also trauma can do this because yeah, when exactly. people almost die or lose a limb, it, it really dramatically shifts the paradigm. It's true of their life. It's true. It's a hard lesson, but it's yeah. it, it still works. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> so excellent. That's very cool. Awesome. I think that's a good place to to cool. come around. Excellent. Thank I you. Hope very we're going to have more of these conversations because oh, yeah, it's fun. I feel like I learn a lot actually when when we talk. Yeah. It's a lot of uh, different perspectives that you have, which are, are really beautiful. Yeah. And yeah, I think there's a lot of you know this this intersection between science and spirituality, the body and the soul. I think is just so fascinating, mm. and I think we need to be having these discussions yeah, exactly. because 
um, they're not quite so common here as maybe in places like India. Yeah, it's and true. we are in in a bit of a crisis of the spirit. I feel at the moment, mm. and we see here at Sanya so many people suffering with anxiety, depression. Yeah, what I call emotional constipation. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you exactly. know, really sort of just being overwhelmed by negative emotion and not being able to break out of it. Yeah, exactly. And I think you know, bringing in. This kind of understanding and wisdom that we can get from the inner experience is really crucial to us finding our way out of these challenges. Yeah, exactly. I think I'm, I mean, I have to admit, I'm in a bit of a privileged position because I've been exposed to a level of knowledge that most people just don't, don't have access to. Mm-hmm. You know, I think it's becoming more widespread, but to really understand the complexities of the brain, it takes years and years. Yeah. And, you know. But at the same time, you know, that's just one way. I mean, yeah, there are so exactly. many ways. I mean, even if someone just committed to a yoga practice or exactly. a dance practice. Exactly. Um, but the, the key element of what I'm saying is that, yes, you can take your knowledge, but if, if you can take that knowledge and, and, and use it as a, as a tool to try to synthesize and, and to essentialize things down to some common principles that could be applied across perspectives, across uh, yeah. paradigms, then that, that helps to start bringing and reducing those paradigms yeah. from that level of complexity yeah. into one of more simplicity. Yeah. And then, and then but you know, I, I honestly believe value. that if you do the practices, that will happen naturally, like yeah. from within. It's true. You know, like if you do yoga, if you do meditation, exactly. that process naturally happens. It will. You know, you get to a very simple life philosophy and things start to crystallize and you start to get this clarity of exactly. what really matters, what doesn't matter, what's noise, what's exactly what's useful. So we I always tell people, you know, on this podcast, yeah, even if you just take one thing that we talked about exactly and practice it, but that's exactly. the key. You, know, you have to put it into practice. It's true. It's I've true. had amazing experiences of um, being in meditation and having knowledge just come into my mind. Exactly. And knowledge that is really out there, like that I wouldn't even have been thinking about. Right. So we do have a lot within us that we just need to exactly. figure out how to listen. It's true. It's true. I mean, one of the things that... Um, um, a little sort of window into what my brain's doing. I always have questions about stuff. I always have lots of questions about stuff. And I, and I honestly, I don't know the answer to them. But there's always a lot of questions in my mind about how things fit together and whatnot. And, uh, but they're just sort of floating around there. And um, what I realize is that when I meditate and the more sort of directive and, and, and willing and, 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 and effort I put into, not effort, effort's probably the wrong word, but the more... The more um, the more willing I am to, to, to be in a meditative space and to be with my body and to, and to immerse myself in these more peak experiences, the more these things just, the answers just answer themselves, you know? Little pieces that are here and there, they start to just come together and I see these parallels between them and I go, wow, oh, that's yeah. amazing. So these answers do come. I think we have yeah. the capacity to draw that together. Maybe we're getting the answer from something else, but it's just having all these things floating around, just giving yourself a space where... Uh, where you can actually hear the answer um, is probably one of the major yeah. keys. Yeah. I think you have to almost experience it to believe it, you know, yeah. because it, it is quite quite amazing it's how true. much knowledge and inspiration you can get through, through oh, meditation. I sometimes get really uh, frustrated because I get really good ideas in meditation and then by the time the meditation's over, I've forgotten that. Yeah, like, well, Damn. you know, the thing is, I, I, I think that as well sometimes. <laughs> I'm like, oh, I have to remember this because this is great. Um <laughs> But I have to just keep going with the meditation. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it comes back. It'll yeah, come. I yeah, mean, it's, any, any, anything that's worth having yeah, is, 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 is going to come back. Yeah. And, um, and sometimes you get something and it's just, 
it's like a piece of something else and yeah. you don't really get the whole thing until it all comes yeah. together. But I often think of my life as my life before meditation and after because things changed so dramatically when I started meditating. I was still in school and my, met, my study time dropped by like more than half and my grades went up and like I was, <laughs> you know, sleeping less, but I had more energy. It's like literally everything about my life changed. And um, so, yeah, I think meditation is probably... If someone were to ask me what's the number one thing I, you could do, I'd say, like, yeah, meditate. After you heard the question that I was going to ask you. I was going to say, let's yeah. close and just give the listeners, like, one thing that yeah, they should practice. So exactly. you, you answered it already. Well, I mean, meditation could be anything. It doesn't necessarily mean sitting in a chair. Meditation just means having that focus. And it could be meditation. Yoga is a meditation of the yeah. body. So, yeah. um, you know, whatever it is that gives you that experience, I think, is really the answer. So yeah. everyone has to kind of just ask themselves and whatever the thing that pops into their head is going to be the thing you know yeah. at least that's a start point yeah for sure and just one last question maybe you can just share a little uh motivational tidbit for mm-hmm. anyone out there who's sort of you know just embarking on this inner journey maybe struggling maybe not really managing to find their way mm-hmm. and maybe finding it hard to relate to some of the things that we said today right. what, what would you say to someone who's in that situation uh, well, I go back to something that you said, just choose one thing, you know. Um, I have a lot of patients that struggle to exercise. And I say, look, I'm, I'm just going to give you two exercises, three exercises. It's gonna take, I'm going to give you the three exercises that take you two minutes. You do this first thing, you roll out of bed, go on the floor, do child's pose, do this exercise, do that exercise. Then you get up and you do your day, okay? Uh, but do that every day. And what ends up happening, the reason I say that is because when you have one simple thing and you know this is only going to take me two minutes and I know it's going to make me feel better um, or something's going to take however much time or however much effort, if you can kind of dedicate yourself to that, um, then you, you're really going to get some benefit. If it's something that's going to benefit you, like some, a few simple stretches are going to like stretch out the body, give you some more flexibility, kind of switch things on, activate your brain a bit, and then you're going to feel like I can do the day now, you know, it's something simple. So I'd say just choose one thing, whether it's stretching or yoga or meditation or just go for a walk or just think, what, what is it that I want to experience more of and what's, what's the easiest way I feel I can, I can achieve that without, say, substances or any other yeah. sort of complications. <laughs> you know, what's the na- most natural, easy way to experience that? It might be just, maybe I should just cut out sugar, okay? I'll cut out sugar. Or I'll even just have... Uh, two fewer coffees a day or whatever it is that you think might be um, aggravating just kind of remove some of the aggravation first you know yeah. um, just finding something really simple yeah. I've met someone recently who did something similar what they did is they decided they were going to change a small small thing about their life but one thing every week and it often involved like a daily choice mm-hmm. so it was like I'm not going to eat uh cheese because I don't feel good when I eat cheese so this week I'm not going to eat cheese and the next week the cheese I'm not going to do this or or I'm going to do this I'm going to go for a walk for just at least 10 minutes every day and the, and the, those things started accumulating so after the course of the year they were like living this amazing healthy life and all these things were actually one on top of the other sort of building building up their sort yeah. of effectiveness and the, the net effects yeah 
we need to obviously stick to stick to the things we say something yeah i mean it just takes a bit of discipline really yeah that's that's the thing you know it's the discipline we're what end of january most people have already broken all their new resolutions by now (laughs) well i think the simplest tool is just one that you know that you could do you know don't force yourself to do something that you really don't want to do or you think i should do this but i don't want to i don't feel like i actually could do it do something that you think that's something I can do. Yeah. Okay. Even it's just drinking more water or whatever it is, you know, uh, choose something that you think you can do that you think is going to help make you feel better. And when you do that and you get that physical feedback, I mean, that's probably the easiest thing. Something that's going to give you some physical feedback to make you go, oh, I do feel better when I do this. You know, you're going to feel better when you do it. Just do that one thing. Just yeah. say, look, be honest with yourself and say, can I really do this? And when you get to the thing where you say, I can do that, then do it. Yeah. Do the one thing. Start with that. Reminds me of a great quote from, I think it was Bruce Lee, yeah. who said, I'm not scared of the opponent who's practiced a thousand kicks one time, but the opponent who's practiced that one kick a thousand times. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly. yeah I like that. Yeah. You know, no, it's, it's like, true. keep it simple, choose that one kick, right. but master it. Exactly. Exactly. Beautiful. Excellent. Thank you so much. Holiday tips and fun facts from Paul, Kristen, and Dexter at Total Wine More. My friends still rave about the Prosecco I brought last year. Let me help make your Friendsgiving unforgettable. Bordeaux is one of the world's most popular red blends, made from Cabernet, Cab Franc, and Merlot. It also makes the perfect gift for your picky boss. Having turkey and all the fixings? I suggest an easy-drinking Pinot Noir. For white drinkers, try an unoaked Chardonnay. Whether you're entertaining or just bringing the wine, we'd love to share our always low prices and ridiculous selection with you this holiday. Now offering same-day delivery at TotalWine.com. Cheers! You're with your baby girl. You've been practicing your mamas and dadas for weeks. And now she looks up and begins to mouth her very first words. This is the moment you've been waiting for. It's time to visit your authorized Mercedes-Benz dealer and test drive the all-new GLE. With the first era of the Mercedes-Benz user experience and optional third-row seating for your whole family. Smart mama. Smart dada. Visit MBUSA.com GLE to learn more. Mercedes-Benz. The best or nothing. Some equipment described as optional. 